Thanks to this season's presenting sponsor, Kohler. They design innovative sinks and faucets for people who do their best work in the kitchen. So today is a very big day. I am trying a tomato for the first time, and I know it's hard to believe uh, I have never had a fresh tomato. I have had a BL. This is Brian Franklin. I've had bruschetta, but scraped all the tomatoes off. Uh, And it's strange because I love pasta sauce. Uh, I love pizza. And this is a video he posted to his Instagram account in which he tries a fresh tomato for the first time in his life. I also found out, according to the USDA, the average American consumes 22 pounds of tomatoes each year. That's mind-boggling to me. I don't even think I've consumed 22 pounds of fresh produce in my lifetime. Who's Brian Franklin? Well, I work with him at America's Test Kitchen. Brian is our Director of Public Relations, which means he's responsible for promoting a food media empire that's been producing recipes, TV shows, cookbooks, magazines for the last quarter century. So I'm going to try my tomato. I have my piece, and um, it seems to be falling apart, but um, here it goes. Um, I wish I could say I like it. I really do, but um, I really don't. Um, I'm happy I tried it, and uh, I think I'm going to have to keep trying it again. Uh, and we'll see what happens. So, the PR guy at America's Test Kitchen really doesn't seem to like food? That's like saying the spokesperson for the Beef Council is vegan. But what really struck me about Brian's tasting videos wasn't even the irony or the obvious shock factor. It was the fact that he was trying these new foods at all. If you think about it, it's pretty hard to change something as deeply ingrained as your food habits as an adult. But Brian, who's 48, seems genuinely open to it. Here's me talking to Brian a few weeks back. Is this something that you want to change? I do feel like sometimes I am missing out. And it it would be worth exploring and, and trying some of these things. I just think you need a bit of nudge from your colleagues to Could be. gently push you in that direction. That would be great. I mean, the other day I was at the grocery store. I'm like, should I try a mushroom? And I'm like, nah, not going to do it. <laughs> so the proof team thought, what if we could help fast track Brian's journey to expand his food horizons? What if we could equip him with the tools he needs to approach new foods with a sense of openness and adventure? When you have colleagues who care about you, who knows that the bountiful pleasures of delicious foods that await you, just an arm's reach away in the office. Absolutely. And the fact that you are the PR person for America's (laughs) Kitchen. Yes. I mean, it is sort of, I hope uh, I'm not ruining my um, ability to reach out and and convey what we do here with reporters by this brutal honesty. But I do think it would help me. I mean, I already appreciate what's done here, but I think it would take that to another level, to be honest. You're very brave. Very. (laughs) Do you know why we're here today, Brian? I don't know the details. I don't know if I want to know the details until I absolutely have to, but it is really an effort to try to expand my palate. I'll tell you why we're here today. This is the proof intervention (laughs) of Brian Franklin. (laughs) Let's hope it's successful. There's a lot of smart ovens out there, and it can be hard to decide which ones are worthy of taking up real estate in your kitchen, especially if you're thinking about getting one for the holidays. Luckily, Breville's Jewel Ovens got you covered. The Jewel Oven has an app which offers step-by-step videos featuring ATK's very own cooking instructor, Christy Morrison. Hey, Christy. Hi, Kevin. You can follow along on the app with easy-to-follow video steps to walk you through holiday classics like ATK sweet potato casserole and simple stuffing. That's right. I had such a blast shooting those. And it's great to know that you're working with a reliable oven because our reviews team chose Breville as a recommended pick. 
Download the Breville app to find guided recipes so you can nail it the first time, every time. Learn more at Breville.com. That's B-R-E-V-I-L-L-E.com. I'm a diehard fan of mangoes. I'll eat mangoes on the hottest day of summer and on Christmas Day. And with the holidays fast approaching, I'm chatting with my colleague, Cook's Country test cook Kelly Song, who's going to introduce me to some festive mango recipes. What's up, Kelly? Hey, Kevin. So, Kelly, a lot of people might think mangoes. Those are summer fruits to use in desserts. But you were just telling me that mangoes are actually great to use any time of year for any type of dish, sweet or savory. Yes, that's absolutely correct. You can use mangoes as an appetizer in stuffed zucchini with curried lamb, currants, and mangoes. We have an amazing pork tenderloin recipe that features a super punchy, bright mango chutney. And my favorite is actually from the book Boards by our chef and food stylist, El Simone Scott. She has an amazing recipe for chocolate fondue. And want to guess one of the ingredients she recommends dipping? I'm going to guess it's mangoes? Yep, that's right. Well, Kelly, all these mango recipes are making me hungry. Find your mango inspiration at mango.org. I'm Jacob Goldstein, host of the podcast, What's Your Problem? And over the next few weeks, I'll be talking to the people who are shaping the future of food. A Stanford scientist raised billions of dollars to make meat without animals. The mission of the company is to completely replace animals as a food technology. A kid who grew up at his uncle's pizza shop is helping family restaurants survive in the 21st century. The bottleneck isn't the pizza oven, it's the telephone. It's the telephone. And a guy who helped create the iPhone is trying to eliminate food waste by reinventing the trash can. First and foremost, it has to not smell. And that's a crazy thing to say. You can listen to What's Your Problem wherever. Oh, come on, Jacob. You wouldn't pay an extra dollar for a Stegosaurus burger? I'd pay an extra dollar. (laughs) Does it come with fries? Sure, I'll throw in the fries for free. Part one of the proof intervention of Brian Franklin. Who hurt you? Before we could hatch a plan to help Brian, we needed to understand how he arrived here, in early middle age, posting Instagram videos of himself trying basic produce for the first time. Truthfully, I just don't remember him being a picky eater. This is Brian's dad, Fred, talking to us on speakerphone from his home in Rhode Island. My name is Fred Franklin, and I am the proud father of uh, Brian Franklin. Now, the context, I would say, is my wife, sadly my late wife, Brian's mother, was a picky eater. According to Fred, it's not that Brian wasn't exposed to many foods as a kid. It's that he wasn't exposed to cooking as a daily part of life. We ate out a lot, and as a family unit, we'd go out for dinner, you know, and celebrate the end of the week, and that morphed into going out more frequently. That's how Brian remembers it, too. I would say that my mom was incredibly talented uh, in the reheating department. She really had a knack for doing that, and we really did two things. We, Growing up, we would eat at the same restaurant again and at least three times a week, And then the other days we'd bring in food. So there was, maybe she cooked here and there, but my memories really are of going to restaurants. And also I never had to eat stuff I didn't like. I don't remember like being forced to eat anything I didn't like because I always had the choice to get what I did like at restaurants. We were easygoing in our household, so we didn't enforce them. You better eat that. You have to try that tomato or you're, you know, we didn't rule with an iron fist at home at all. Unlike kids who grew up eating what they were served by their parents, young Brian usually had a choice in the form of a restaurant menu. And with his limited palate as a child, he always opted for the sure thing. Back 
30 years ago, it's this was dinner. If you don't want it, you don't eat. Whereas for me, it was this is what you can choose from. There's definitely going to be something here you like. And, and in my case, I, I there were a few items and, and I'm a creature of habit. So I go with the proven winner every single time. From there, it seems Brian's eating habits followed one long, unbroken line right to the present day. I mean, it was pretty early on. That's Brian's wife, Regan. She's describing when she realized just how picky of an eater Brian was. When we would go to, like, steak houses and he would get chicken and it was always chicken. And his mom always had some sort of chicken dish for any holiday or any time we were at their house eating and whenever we would cook, my parents knew my, that he wouldn't eat the steak or anything else. So they would always get him a piece of chicken and make him some chicken on the side. <laughs> um, so I just don't think I realized it until we started coming to each other's houses. And that was like going out with our each of our families that I realized, oh, he really doesn't eat anything else but chicken or turkey. According to Brian's health app, he's eaten a turkey sandwich for lunch 28 out of the last 30 days. The amount of turkey sandwiches that this man eats, it's unreal. It's beyond my comprehension. Not only is my palate uh, very limited, the variety is even, uh, I don't even know what the word is. There is no variety, basically. Well, it's the same thing again and again, And which is fine. I'm very content with that. And this likely would have continued along right on that same track if it weren't for one thing, Brian's teenage son, Sammy. Now that I'm a father and trying to teach my son to eat well and, and trying to teach him to eat vegetables. And it's almost hypocritical because it's like, I didn't eat these vegetables as a kid. So when we have a salad at dinner, I'm, I'm literally swallowing things whole just to demonstrate that he should eat them because I don't want to chew them because I probably don't like them. That's my most huge obstacle is, I you know, I'm saying you do not set a good example for Sammy. Sammy is not a good eater, and um, he, well, daddy won't eat it. <laughs> daddy won't try it. Daddy, you wouldn't eat that, would you? You know, there are a few things in my life, my friend's life, and hopefully your life, that are more gratifying than trying new foods and sharing that experience of discovery. Heck, trying anything new. It's the thrill of the unknown. I try to set a good example for my six-year-old boy. I don't like forcing foods on him, but I'll eat, say, sushi in front of him. And I'll never forget the first time he reached into my container and tried a California roll. He proceeded to eat a full, adult-size, eight-piece order. Closing yourself off to the possibility of experiencing new things, well, it sends the message that change and openness is unnecessary. Sure, I get that the familiar is comfortable, but that's not very exciting or inspiring to a loved one. So, to create more clarity around what he wanted to get out of this intervention, I asked Brian and Regan what success would look like. There's really two levels of success. One is just trying something, but the real deal would be incorporating it into my uh, rotation of foods that I select. It's all about asking yourself questions. And I. the first thing is, what's the risk in not trying something new? Why not? And that brings us to part two, the science of picky eating. We now understood how Brian turned out this way. We got a glimpse of his motivation for changing, but there is still the question of why he's such a picky eater. Could there be some biological reason? It's nature and it's nurture. This is Dr. Marcy Pelshaw. She recently retired from the Monell Chemical Senses Institute, where she researched food preferences. She is literally a picky eating scientist. Young children do tend to go through a period when they are very, what we call, neophobic about food. And neophobia literally means fear of the new. As they get older, most children become a little bit more willing to try new foods. 
there are some genetic influences on the tendency to be neophobic about food. The biggest factor in determining whether people will try something is familiarity. A number of circumstances conspired against Brian when it came to his developing eating habits. His mom, Linda, was a picky eater, so his genetics likely play a role. And at all those family dinners out at restaurants, he was allowed to indulge his natural neophobia as a kid and avoid anything that looked too outside his comfort zone. Brian is a textbook case. And there's another way in which Brian's experience tracks with Dr. Pelshaw's research. The average picky eater may actually consume a balanced diet. I don't eat a lot of junk. It would be different if I was very picky and just ate McDonald's and pizza and greasy garbage. That's not necessarily the case. I I really don't eat a lot of that stuff. Um, So I might not have the variety, but I, I do know enough. Okay, this is healthy. This isn't healthy. Dr. Pelshaw said that for the average picky eater like Brian, the bigger problems tend to be social. Food is an integral part of everyday life. We break bread with other people. We connect over meals. It can be hard if you don't partake. And in Brian's case, crank that to an 11. The toughest meals I've had are are when I go out with people from ATK because... First of all, we choose restaurants that don't have the easiest menus, and then they order for the table and order all these crazy things. I mean, there have been at least two meals where I've just had a basket of bread because the stuff they ordered, I, I just, I, I mean, I, 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 it was unbelievable. There's no way I could try it. Brian's tastes are limited enough to make him feel alienated from normal eaters, but he doesn't work with normal eaters. He works at America's Test Kitchen, one of the largest food media companies in the world. His colleagues do not order cheese pizza at dinner. Here's more of my conversation with Brian. You're out with Jack and Bridget and Julia from our show. Yes. And they're going to some Michelin-starred restaurants. Or or even just a pizza place. I was so excited. I'm like, okay, pizza I can do. But then they order oxtail on pizza. And I, I mean... I didn't even know people ate ox, and and let alone on pizza. But there is hope. According to Dr. Pelshaw, the solution is fairly straightforward. Brian's willingness to change is one big step, because forcing someone or ridiculing them can have terrible negative effects and really bias the person toward picky eating for a long time to come, if not forever. It does take multiple exposures to a new food in order for it to be liked. We now had all the right ingredients for a transformation. Brian's willingness to change, a group of loving, supportive colleagues to nudge him forward, and the opportunity in the form of a 15,000-square-foot test kitchen for multiple exposures— Well, I guess taste test sounds way more appetizing. Still, we needed a game plan. Before we cooked up a bunch of dishes at ATK's Boston headquarters, we wanted to approach these tastings in a way that would encourage, rather than dampen, Brian's interest in broadening his food horizons. And who better to design a game plan than renowned habit coach Andrew Sykes? Andrew happens to be one of my favorite business school professors at Northwestern University's Kellogg School of Management. I am the co-founder and CEO at Habits at Work. That's a company that helps salespeople develop these amazing habits. I'm also a professor at Kellogg, where I teach entrepreneurial selling, and I'm an aspiring performance poet. I wouldn't say a good one, I said an aspiring one. Andrew says first and foremost, he wants to clear up some important misconceptions. The greatest one of all is this idea that we have habits, whereas I believe that habits have us. What Andrew is saying is this. Habits aren't necessarily driven from within. It's not always about how much willpower we have or don't have to make a change. Instead, he says, 
Habits are encoded in the environments or contexts we inhabit. Andrew calls them the four S's. Systems, spaces, social, and self. Brian has built his life on a system of predictability. Stick with the known winners. Skip anything new. My mindset is that I can survive, and and because usually there are a few plain things on the menu, and I have, you know, no shame in asking the wherever I am to hold certain ingredients or make adjustments. Brian's appetite to try new things is influenced by the spaces he traverses. At work, he's surrounded and even inspired by professional cooks. At home, he's probably trying to maximize time with his family rather than worry about cooking and cleaning. The social pressure to try new things fluctuates depending on who Brian's around. And finally, his self is influenced by all these other environmental factors. And if you don't notice that, you keep trying to change yourself and beating yourself up for trying and failing and not noticing that you were trying to beat odds that were stacked against you because the world around you doesn't support the habit you're trying to create. So, rule number one, recognize that habits have us. Be cognizant of the factors that surround you when you're trying to make a change. And go easy on yourself. Got it. The second piece of advice that Andrew offered was to foster a growth mindset and avoid a fixed mindset. These are concepts that build on American psychologist Carol Dweck's work. A fixed mindset might be, I have the taste that I have and they're never going to change. Let's remind you what Brian said earlier. My mindset is that I can survive and I have no shame in asking to hold certain ingredients or make adjustments. A growth mindset might be recognizing that taste or tastes are acquired, they change over time, we can learn to like things and we can learn to dislike things if you eat too much of them, for example. So it's really just knowing about ourselves that we are changeable, adaptable human beings capable of growth, acquiring new skills, acquiring new tastes in this case. Andrew says just adding one word after a sentence will help. And that word is yet. So for example, I don't like all these different types of food, comma, yet. So that might be useful as just a little reminder before each meal, which is, I don't like these things yet. And there's no obligation to like them afterwards. It's really just an opening to try them once. Brian told me a while back that he never used to read books. He was more of a let's watch the movie version of Grapes of Wrath kind of guy. But when the pandemic hit, he found himself engrossed in Hamlet, Moby Dick, the classics, He just hadn't been an avid reader yet, until there were changes in his environment. So he's had firsthand experience with what a growth mindset can do. I hope to one day be as ambitious as I am about just trying books and trying food. It hasn't worked out that way yet, but maybe it will after this experience. Third, Andrew says it's important to recruit accountability buddies. Yes, I said accountability buddies. These are people that will help you keep a contract with yourself. If the goal is to try one new thing every week, Brian could have someone else order lunch for him. Roll the dice. Sometimes he'll try something that's a winner. Other days, he might go a little hungry. Brian could also ask his wife to not let him buy turkey the next time they're grocery shopping. Or his son's presence could be a strong motivator. Here's Andrew Sykes again. I've found that as human beings, we are much more motivated in the service of people we care about than we are for ourselves. Just look at how many of us say, I'm so stressed because customers, company, spouses, kids, we always put other people's needs ahead of ourselves. Mostly, not always. So this is just a way to trick our brains by saying, okay, if I care more about my son than about my own habits, which is understandable, he has another reason to do it. And maybe to co-opt him as your accountability buddy. You know, let him drive and see what it might do for both of your habits in exploring new foods. That makes sense. And I think showing him that if I can change at this this age, 
then he should be able to to understand the importance of change and always working to bettering yourself or trying new things, taking risks. I mean, there's so many. It's a good parenting lesson. I, 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 I like it. Lastly, Andrew says it's important to anticipate failure. In fact, expect it to happen. This harkens back to step one. Habits have us. Anticipate that habits might get the best of us. Forgive yourself and recruit others to help you get back on the wagon. Oh, I like that. I like that. When we left the conversation with Andrew, Brian seemed energized. Now, all that was left to do was put Brian's goal of trying new foods and adding new foods to his proven winners list to the test. After the break, part three, Brian versus food. You deserve a kitchen that works for you. Kohler's sinks come in varying depths and basins so that you get your perfect fit. Their workstation sinks provide accessories to support all of your washing, rinsing, and storage needs. All of Kohler's sinks and faucets are designed to make your kitchen look its best while still getting your cooking goals accomplished. And what a relief that is, especially during the holidays. Visit Kohler.com to learn more. Holiday season is baking season. Apple pies, blueberry cobblers, cookies. Oh man, I'm salivating just thinking about them. But why end the festivities at dessert? OXO can help you bring that holiday baking spirit into breakfast with their holiday baking tools. Thinking about making those cranberry pecan muffins from Cook's Illustrated? You can count on OXO's nonstick muffin pan to do the job. Our reviews team ranked it as the top muffin tin for easy release when the muffins are done. Proof listeners get 15% off on their holiday must-haves when you use the code ATK15 at OXO.com. That's ATK15 at OXO.com. Hey, Proof listeners, we've got fun news to share with all of you. We're excited to announce that we're making a new show for Amazon Freebie. America's Test Kitchen, the next generation, sees 11 home cooks from across the country working inside the ATK studio kitchens, undergoing intense culinary challenges in the job interview of a lifetime. The last cook standing will earn a starring role on America's Test Kitchen and $100,000. Celebrity host Jeannie Mai Jenkins is joined weekly by a rotating panel of your favorite ATK team members, including Dan Souza, El Simone Scott, Jack Bishop, and Julia Collin Davison. Catch the premiere, America's Test Kitchen, The Next Generation, on December 9th, exclusively on Amazon Freebie. That's Amazon's free ad-supported streaming service. And as a bonus, we're excited to also announce Amazon Freebie will host brand new ATK holiday content on their exclusive ATK streaming channel. You can watch this content and more for free on the Amazon Freebie standalone app or on many connected TVs and devices, including Fire TV, Roku, Samsung, and mobile. Both Prime and non-Prime members can watch freebie programming for free through Prime Video. So Brian, we're at the America's Test Kitchen Test Kitchen. There's a lot of people here today, and uh, we're going to be eating a bunch of food. What's your mindset right now? My mindset is twofold. I haven't had lunch yet. I'm starving, but I'm also a little nervous. I'm not going to lie. Although the food everyone is working on does look very good. You've worked here for how many years? Five years? Yes. Have you ever attended a tasting before at this company? So I do desserts and breads. I walk around a lot, but I'm very, very selective. One thing you should know about America's Test Kitchen is that on average, every recipe goes through 50 to 60 iterations. They cost about $11,000 to develop. And that's what makes us different from most other recipe empires. We are meticulous with a capital M. As part of the process, our test cooks run tastings in our test kitchen. And we invite other employees to compare and contrast different versions of any given recipe. 
On the day we stage our intervention for Brian, the Cook's Country and Cook's Illustrated teams were preparing several different dishes. Brian looks curious, but a little nervous. He slips in and out of a group of cooks gathered around a stove. What exactly are you nervous about? I think just having to try something that I really have had the mindset of not liking for my entire life. But, you know, one of the things we talked about with the coach is really shifting your mindset from I don't like this to I haven't tried this yet and maybe I'll actually like it. I am definitely trying to do that and trying to have that mindset. Um, and I, I mean, excited to the potential that, you know what, I could actually like something, which would be rare uh, based on what I've tested in my videos. But I, I know there's so much I haven't tested and it's being prepared by the best of the best. So that should make it even better. What have you actually tasted that you thought, man, that's really good? I had a Butterfinger for the first time and I thought that was a great piece of candy. I got to be honest here. I was more nervous than Brian was. Was Butterfingers are great as much as we could expect? But before I knew it, Brian began chatting up Dan Souza, editor-in-chief of Cooks Illustrated, and test cook Erica Turner. So what is this all you all are uh, tasting and testing? Um, so Erica here is working on um, a recipe for Bouillardie, uh, trying different, ratio, or different types of treatments on the tomatoes here. She's about, you know, maybe a quarter into her process for development on this, so she's gonna be working on this for weeks to come, but it's already really tasty. The dish is called Bouillardie. Okay. It's a, a Greek dish, it's Greek baked feta. Um, yes, yeah, so feta is the starring role. And then uh, supplementally, there's tomatoes, um, hot peppers. We use longhorn peppers here, but in Greece, they use a traditional hot pepper. And uh, green peppers. Um, and oregano, and in Greece they use spice that's kind of similar to red chili flakes called bokovo, and olive oil. And the difference between the three is A here has grated tomato, which is not traditional, but we wanted to test in terms of consistency. B has diced tomato, also not very traditional, but we wanted to test the overall consistency. And C is the more traditional option with sliced tomatoes, all with vine-ripened tomatoes. Right away, Brian takes note he notices a red nemesis. There's a lot of tomatoes in this, but we'll, I'm gonna keep an open mind. What, what's your hesitation with tomatoes? Again, it's one of those things. I love ketchup, I love pasta sauce. It just have never, I've convinced myself I don't like them, but that's only because I haven't tried them, except that one time in my video. I've always picked them out, you know, if I get, any sandwich, any burger, I always take out the tomatoes. Again, not because I don't like because I haven't tried it, basically. But you, your thing is with raw tomatoes. These are cooked through tomatoes. Like, it's like pizza sauce. Yes. When they're in their bigger form or, or not mashed up, I tend to just swallow them, in all honesty. <laughs> After some long stares at the plates, Brian goes in for the kill. Tomatoes are tricky for me. Green peppers are tricky for me. I do hot peppers, though, but I'm excited to try it. It looks very good, and I love feta, so that those are the pluses. All right, and I'm diving in with the tomato, which is good. It's good. It's got a really very spicy. I didn't realize. Like, but the feta cools, right? Be honest here. Like, like no, because I'm having another bite of it. It's really good because usually when I try my foods, one bite and then I'm done forever. So this is a, this is a really good sign. Now you don't have to do this because I'm sticking a microphone in front of your face, right? No, but I do think it's like this is like prepared by the best of the best, and it's ingredients I like, and it like it it's, could be potential. I'm looking at it more optimistically rather than tomatoes I've never liked in my life. I normally had a raw tomato once to like, all right, this could be really good. Okay, off to a pretty good start. But is he just being agreeable for the microphone? Tell me, play food critic, what are you tasting right now? My food vocabulary is almost as juvenile as my palate, so it's really hard for me to describe 
what I'm tasting, but you definitely taste the feta and the tomato and the hot peppers, and it's a really neat combo. It really is. Should you take another bite? I'm taking a second bite, and I even put more tomato on my fork. It's good. I would absolutely eat this. Really? I really would. Which okay, says I guess, a lot. I guess we'll find this in the at a upcoming issue of Cook's Illustrated. Yeah, that that's this is some. I mean, whether I'm able to cook it, that's a different story. But I would definitely try this again. I like it. Let me ask Erica, how easy is it to cook this dish? It's very simple. If you can slice tomatoes and make a tomato sandwich, you can make bouillardie. It's just tomato slices, green pepper slices, hot pepper slices, and a big block of feta sliced in half. So, thank you. This was a real treat. My pleasure. Thank you. Good work. Yeah. Dude, you're handling it. Okay, let's 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 go over here now, and uh, I'm gonna press stop. You heard me there. Being supportive. But again, I was skeptical. Was he just being polite so he wouldn't offend any of our test cooks? Or maybe the social pressure of being around our test cooks was positively reinforcing Brian's curiosity? I wanted to be a supportive accountability buddy, so we moved on to the next station where the chef and editorial director of Cook's Country was with test cooks Amanda Lucktell and Kelly Song. Brian Roof, what do we got in front of us today? So you have uh, green olive tapenade. And Amanda made. Yeah, tapenade. so this olive tapenade is a green olive tapenade. So it's a really delicious buttery olive. So it's great for olive haters uh, because it's like less briny, um, really buttery, great texture. Um, and it also has some anchovies, garlic, chili flake, olive oil, and fresh thyme and parsley. Exactly. I mean, because I am the leader of the olive haters, but I tried a black olive. And I think a purple one. I don't know if I did the green one, so we'll see. Now we're I mean, really this, this is very scary to me. And Kelly made some pork tonado. Kelly, do you want to explain that? Yeah, think kind of along the lines of Caesar dressing. It's a classic Italian condiment. It's eggs whipped into like a mayonnaise-like base with tuna, capers, anchovy, a little bit of chili flakes. So super tangy. Super umami and very delicious. Yeah, we're this going from zero to sixty scary. here because we were over there. And then we just this had... has anchovy, which is like I, you can't get a redder flag than that for. Yeah, remember the the change that we've been working on, Brian, is that we're going from I don't eat this and I don't like uh, this too. I want to try it. I haven't tried this yet. I might Maybe I'm like... missing something. Yeah. So, Brian Roof, what should Brian Franklin taste for? Brian goes in for the olive tapenade. Why don't you uh, baby step it with a saltine into this? Just go ahead and dunk. Really? Yeah, and just scoop up a little. That's a good scoop. All right. Get a little olive oil on there. It'll kind of cut the brininess. It smells olivey, but I'm going to just try it all, I guess. It's better than the olives I taste. There's something about it that, like, it doesn't feel like you're just eating, like, a plain... Yeah, so the beauty of the Costio Vetrano olives is that they're like really buttery and not that like super briny, salty olive. So it's like a really good introductory to olives. Mm -hmm. And so I'm, I'm glad you like it. And so this is like a side dish or an appetizer? How an appetizer, is this used? Or you could use it on like a sandwich as a spread or something if you wanted like a little bit of a salty flavor, a little briny flavor to your yeah. sandwich. I, I mean, it, it tastes a lot better than I thought. I know how much Brian dislikes olives, so I was shocked by what happened I'm gonna, next. You know what? I'm going to give it a second go. There we go. There we go. Just because I'm trying very hard. I'm so proud. Are you doing this because, you know, the person who made this is in front of you and you're that, trying to... I mean, the peer pressure with everyone standing around me He's not is, walking out no, here without eating everything. Uh, no, you know, as I said, I want to... This is a really good opportunity because... When I prepare this, it, it would never look like this or taste like this. So I gotta, I gotta try it. This wouldn't be a go-to for me, but if someone had it, I would definitely, definitely dip into it. You, you would not hate it. You would at least try it. I would, exactly. The goal here is not to say like, is not to make you love the foods that you right. hate. It's not going to be in my rotation of foods, but it's something I would not poo-poo like I used to in the old days. I think that's a baby step. I think it's a huge step. The more time I spent with Brian, the more I realized it's not that he actively hates a lot of food. He just loves the same half dozen foods and eats those 
day after day. So he's being a real good sport about this. But this next ingredient might put a halt to our momentum. Anchovies. To be specific, a tonnado sauce. It's the creamy Caesar dressing-like dip that features tuna and anchovies. To be honest, I wasn't sure how this would play with Brian. But Brian seems genuinely curious when he approaches Cook's Country test cook, Kelly Song. Why don't you try a potato with the tonado sauce first? Is this hot or cold? It's cold. Uh, <laughs> there's tuna, capers, anchovy, and uh, like a fresh mayonnaise made with egg. And I like. a little bit of red wine vinegar for punchiness. So it's a little bit like niçoise salad adjacent. Oh, that's good. And this was it. There was tuna and what else was in it? Let's keep eating. And you know what? I could eat this green beans in this sauce, and that would be like a great little snack wow. for me. Wow. Hey, that's a. Yeah. <laughs> that's pretty amazing. I'll take that as a good sign here. Um, should we get a little more adventurous with the pork? Sure. So originally this dish is made with veal, thinly sliced veal, um, and it's an Italian summer dish, so that's why the meat is served cold and layered with the sauce. But we wanted to modernize it a little bit with pork, um, pork tenderloin specifically. Okay. Here, we can just dump it in here. I mean, I'll have to atone for this, but I'll definitely try it. <laughs> I mean, I can't tell the difference between, like, pork and roast beef, but that's maybe just because I don't eat a lot of meat at all. I mean, it's, to it's good. It, it is. It definitely is good. The sauce makes it, huh? The sauce is key. You know, the whole point of this intervention was not to do an episode of Fear Factor. We didn't want this to be, what's the weirdest thing we can get Brian to eat for laughs? The goal throughout was to expose Brian to all the delicious foods out there he wasn't eating. He does not need to like every dish. It's fine to think it doesn't taste good. But you don't know what you don't know. And what if Brian could stumble upon his next great food love? It probably won't be Tonado. Now, he didn't dislike it. In fact, I can tell you, personally speaking, it's super delicious. Great job, Kelly. The step forward was that Brian actually demonstrated a willingness to give it a try, anchovies be damned. For Brian, this is undeniable progress. So if I had to rank everything, I mean, I'd eat that Greek feta, I would get that. These, yeah, I, I tried the pork, crossed it off the list. Uh, you know, I'm not gonna run to order that again, but at least I know I can do it. The, the, the key is not to, we do not need to like everything. Right. And we just need to find a few new things to like. Right. I think that's doable. But the intervention wasn't over yet. I wanted to do one last thing to stress test Brian's growth mindset. Brian was great at trying dishes in our test kitchen with the added environmental pressure of being around our colleagues. But how would he do at a restaurant where the only peer pressure he would really get would be from me? We're now at Legal Seafood, which is maybe Boston's most famous restaurant. We're staring in front of this gigantic menu, which is maybe um, like two foot, maybe like a foot and a half long. Tons of stuff on there. What scares you the most? I've had an oyster once. That scares me. Mussels I've never had. Um, lobster I've only had once or twice. Um, just looking at the other stuff. Yeah, clams. I, I'm not into clams. So most of it. Most of the seafood. <laughs> so we ordered some raw oysters. I mean, uh, not to be harsh. I mean, they look disgusting, I think. Um, we shared a lobster roll. One to ten scale. At five or six. I think if, if it was just a plate of some lobster, then it would be even higher. I think the mayo, for me, ruins it a little. We ordered little neck clams cooked in a wine sauce with andouille sausage. Yeah, that, it's real, it's like salty. I don't like the um, consistency of it. it. It's a weird, I can't, I, weird texture of it. And we tried a Mexican grilled corn salad. 
I really like it a lot. Um, I like the colors. And that's another thing that's starting to, you notice the color of food. I really, my food is so bland. I, I mean, it's unbelievable, but this is, it's just neat. Yeah, it's fantastic. I love this. It's been a long day, a lot of food, an inadvisable amount of food. I asked Brian how he felt. I don't know if I'm gonna replace the things I usually eat with some of these new things, but I do know, well, maybe I won't order the same thing again and again and again at the restaurant. I mean, I can go through a day where I'll have the same lunch and dinner. You know, I'll have the same exact thing. So I think I could add some variety and spice up things in my life. I think it's about being open to change and, and, and knowing that, you know what, you got to take a risk and there's a potential payoff that comes with that risk or trying something new. What would that payoff for you be? The payoff would be trying great food and, and adding great, better stuff to your life. How do you think your wife and son feel about you going through this? I think they are apprehensive in the sense that they look they they know me very very well and know sometimes change is hard with me but at the same time I think especially my wife she's hopeful that maybe we'll be able to eat more things at home and cook more things together expand our menu I'm hoping my son will be like look if my dad can try this I can do it and I, I hope he takes away that, look, I was willing to go out on a limb to try new things, and, and I'm really happy I did. So I, I, I think for him, I'm hoping it's not just a food lesson, but a life lesson. So I, I'm hoping uh, they both, we all benefit from this. And this brings us to part four, the follow-up. It's been a couple of weeks since the intervention, and I called Brian to see how he was doing. I caught him having dinner with his son at Applebee's. Hey, Brian, what's going on? It's Kevin. So, quick question. What are you eating for dinner tonight? A salad with um, chicken on it. Oh, boy. We weren't, of course, expecting Brian to suddenly incorporate olive tapenade into his sandwiches or replace his Caesar dressing with tomato sauce. And habit coach Andrew Sykes did say we should anticipate and embrace failure. But chicken? Again? Um, you know, have I made massive changes? No, but I've made smaller changes. Like, you know, even today I ordered dinner and usually I, I know I have stuff removed, but I've just been, um, you know, maybe I'll try like their tomatoes in the salad I ordered. So, you know, maybe I'll try a few instead of having them um, picked out. Okay, that's progress. What was once Brian's red nemesis has slowly become just a mere squishy red presence in Brian's life. He's no longer shunning it away. What about those turkey sandwich lunches? Actually, I have switched it around a lot, um, and that's definitely a conscious choice. Brian's wife, Regan, confirms this. Brian has been experimental with lunch. He's been pulling out, like, a can of tuna and mixing it with different things and, uh, you know, relish and mustards and and creating different sandwiches that way. Um, he'll take a piece of grilled chicken and make a sandwich out of that, or just grilled cheese or eggs. Like he'll he'll make eggs and, and put that on a sandwich with cheese. So I guess in that respect, that's the biggest behavioral difference. When we followed up with Brian later, he also noticed another behavioral change. I mean, it, it's not only not just trying everything, it's actually sitting to enjoy food. Like, I fly eating. Like, I, it's hard for me to sit still. So, like, when, when I'm out for dinner and my wife's eating, like, I'm, like, signaling to the, the waiter or waitress, like, check, check, check. Like, we got to move on. So I'm slowing everything down. And, and so when you do that, like, I'm like, all right, I'll try something new. I'll, I'll make something new. And, and sort of it's getting out of these routines that I... Um, 
you know, relied on for so long. Later in our conversation, Brian said something really interesting. Listen carefully to the end. It was so funny because right after we hung up, my son bit into his hamburger and spit it out. I said, Sam, like, what do you expect? I'm like, you have to eat it. I don't care. Uh, But it was just very funny that he was sort of like just getting very picky like (laughs) I used to be. (laughs) Right there. Did you notice that? Picky like I used to be. Brian is imagining his pickiness as part of his former identity now, something from a past life. I think he's jumping the gun a little here, but this was the growth mindset in action. It was encouraging to hear. Like many things in life, change may move at a glacial pace. I think I've graduated from the low single digits in terms of my palate to maybe the early Double digits. I'm almost a teen in terms of my palate. But small changes added up can go a long way. Like the way Brian worked his way up to becoming an avid reader. With the reading, it's I get such enjoyment out of the book. It really it's fantastic. The food I'm getting there. And it's a, a slower process because I haven't tried anything yet where I'm like, this is incredible. I think it's a slower process, but I I think just, you know, making the change that when I'm at the restaurant and I get chicken and pea pods without the pea pods, I'm like, all right, I'll, I'll just order it the way it is and I'll have a few. And so it's like those very gradual changes that will happen and will continue to happen. Uh, it's just going to take a little longer. As Brian continues to work on these changes, there was just one thing left for us to do, which was to ask what food Brian would try next on his Instagram account, which, by the way, is at Brian J. Franklin. Mushrooms is high on the list. Like, I've never had a portobello. I've really done nothing with mushrooms. So that's up there, actually. I was going to... I have sardines because I was talking to my dad and he was talking that he had sardines as a kid and I I just can't fathom that. I'm so nervous about that. So I've had them for months. I I keep telling myself, okay, Saturday, Saturday. uh, I want to have them outside so it doesn't stink up the house. Um, So we'll see. I'm going to be bold. If you like Proof, be sure to subscribe wherever you listen so you'll get new episodes as soon as they drop. And while you're there, why not leave us a rating or write us a review? It really helps other people find the show. This episode of Proof is hosted by me, Kevin Pang, and the podcast is made by the following cast of characters. I'm Yumi Araki, the managing producer. I'm executive producer Caitlin Kelleher. I'm Terrence Johnson, and I'm the associate producer. I'm Alex Curran Cartarelli, and I'm also an associate producer. I'm Bridget Lancaster, creator and the founding host and producer. Audio services are provided by Ultraviolet Audio with sound design supervision by Matt Boynton, scoring, mixing, and sound design by Anya Gzeshik, and additional engineering by David Bowman, Brian Campbell of Signal Sounds composer theme music, additional music by Cal Forster and Jordan Pearson. Ken Margolis is our director of post-production, and our director of production is Diane Knox. Fact-checking and additional research by Angela Yang. An extra special thanks to Brian Franklin for being an amazing sport and for letting us spend so much time scrutinizing your eating habits. A very special thanks to Fred, Regan, and Sammy Franklin for being a part of Brian's journey. Thanks also to Dr. Marcy Pelshaw and to my professor at Northwestern, Andrew Sykes. Thanks so much for that high pass, Prof. And thanks to all of our test cooks at America's Test Kitchen, who inspired picky eaters and gourmands alike each and every day. Jack Bishop is the chief creative officer of America's Test Kitchen and David Nussbaum is America's Test Kitchen's CEO. Thanks to our sponsors, Kohler, Oxo, Sengoku, The Mango Board, and Breville. Proof is a production of America's Test Kitchen.